You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Give God praise for Bishop Charles Brumfield, would you? Hallelujah. I sing because I'm happy, and I sing because I'm free. His eye is on the spell, and I don't care what the devil says, I know. <laughs> I flat out know. Hallelujah, I know it. You got to know it. <laughs> Look at somebody tell him I know. watching over me. All night, all day, the angels keep watching over me. <laughs> well, if you're happy, clap your hands. When you get through clapping your hands, get your Bible and turn to the Gospel of St. John, chapter number one. stuck in chapter number one. You don't have to stand for the reading. We're going to be there for a while. It's the Gospel of St. John, chapter number one. When you have it, say amen. amen. When we first jumped into this, we were in the first verse. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We talked about the with and was God. The Word that was with God and yet was God. You remember that? The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shined in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Amen. We talked about the witness from heaven authenticating the authenticity of Jesus Christ, God incarnate, incarnate, where we get the word carnal, God indwelling carnality, God indwelling flesh. We talked about how he dwelt among us. We talked about the distinctions of the Gospel of St. John, separate and distinctive from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in that John declares definitively the deity of Jesus Christ. He is not dealing with his right to be an heir 
as the king of Israel. He's not dealing with the lineage of him being of the seed of Abraham, nor is he talking about him being the son of David, though he was. He is not authenticating Christ as it relates to his fleshly right to rule or reign in the earth realm. He is going to a higher realm of authentication dealing with the deity of Jesus Christ himself, and he goes beyond the other gospel writers who talk about the lineage right into the divinity. You don't see all of the begets, begets, so-and-so, begets, so-and-so, begets. No, you see, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He establishes Christ as it relates to his divine perspectives as being the creative force behind Genesis chapter 1. You with me? This in the beginning phrase we have not heard at the beginning of a book since Genesis. So there is a correlation between Genesis 1 and 1 and John 1 and 1. Genesis 1 and 1 points to the creation of the earth. John 1 and 1 points to the new creation that we have in Jesus Christ in the beginning. It's, it's, the implication is we're beginning again. Okay? In Genesis 1, we deal with the beginning of the earth as it was, and we deal with the first man, Adam. In John 1, we deal with the beginning of the kingdom age, and we deal with the second man, Adam, Jesus Christ. The first man fails in the beginning, but the second man, Adam, finishes what the first man failed. The first man, Adam, died with his bride. The second man, Adam, died for his bride. Are you following what I'm saying? This is the turning point of the text, and when we deal with this, we authenticate the, the authenticity of the deity of Jesus Christ first through a heavenly witness in that 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 was in him was very God of gods. He is the God-man. He is all the way God and all the way man, God incarnate. All of the Old Testament prepares us for this one shining moment when God unveils his glory in the face of Jesus Christ. The prophets had prophesied his coming. They knew that he was going to come. When he came, the problem is they failed to recognize him because they looked at the robes he wore and failed to see the God behind the robes. I'm not talking about the clothes. I'm talking about the robe of his flesh. For God draped himself in the robe of flesh, a robe that he picked up from the womb of Mary and stepped out of the womb of Mary wrapped up in human flesh, and they called him the carpenter's son, failing to recognize that he was not the son of Joseph, but in fact the son of God. Are you following me? So when we deal with this, John begins to point us to the deity of Jesus Christ so that we can approach him not as a demigod, not as God junior, not as a lesser God, not as some evolution of God, but that we might see him as the very God of gods and the very Lord of lords and the very King of kings. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by him. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. It goes on down through the text. The turning point is now there was a man. In the middle of all of this divinity, he interjects, now there was a man. When it comes to now there was a man, we get a human witness so that we might have a witness in the earth realm and a witness in the, heaven, in the, in the, in the heavenlies. John is our earthly witness that authenticates and validates uh, the deity of Jesus Christ. We talked about last week the three realms of witness that the first time when John witnessed the authenticity of Jesus Christ, he did it where? Oh, you're good. I love you. He did it in the womb. And the second time, he did it where? In the wilderness, when he baptized him in the wilderness. And the third time, he did it where? 
in the jail cell when he said, Art thou the Christ? Or shall we look for another? Y'all doing good? Y'all with me? You with me? So, so John validates and authenticates who Jesus Christ was. The reason John asked the final question, Art thou the Christ? Or shall we look for another? John understood his purpose. And his purpose was what? To, yeah, to be a forerunner. He was not the light. He was sent to bear witness of the light, saying there's one coming after me who's mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to latch it. Once that one had been revealed, John knew that he must decrease, that Christ might increase, and he wanted to know, am I really going to get out of this? I'm in prison, and I know if you're not the Christ, I can't die because I can't die until he's completely revealed. But if, I have, if you have established your ministry, and Jesus said, go tell John that the blind eyes are open and the lame are walking, that was to let him know I'm, I'm out there, I'm revealed. It is declared, I have exposed myself. And John knew that he, his purpose was over because a man should live as long as his purpose and die when it's over. It's not the length of days. It's not the quantity of days. It's the quality of days. It's accomplishing your purpose. Don't think that the, the proof of righteousness is always long life because it isn't. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look at Josiah. Look at people all throughout the Bible who live short lives but accomplish purposes. And don't tell me that the enemy took Jesus' life because Jesus said, no man takes my life, I lay it down. If I lay it down, I'll take it up again. And Jesus, by his own admission, said, it is finished. And he didn't get in three score and ten, but it was finished because he'd done that that he was sent to do. That's why it's important that you know your purpose. Because if you can understand your purpose, you can determine something about your days. If your purpose isn't finished, if you haven't done what you're sent here to do, you don't have to worry about, is this going to take you out? I can't die right now because i got something else to do. How many of you ain't got time to die? I just, it's not on my date book, you know. I'll get to it eventually. That's all right. I don't mind it. I know it's coming. But they didn't schedule an appointment with me today. For it is appointed under a man wants to die and after that the judgment. This is good. Isn't this good? Just fooling around. Now, while we're dealing with John, there are some things that John says that I want to just talk to you a little bit about today. John's ministry, who can tell me what John's ministry, what was his message? Repent, why? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. His message was repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He describes himself as a voice crying in the wilderness, okay? Uh, he ate wild locusts and honey. He dressed in what? Camel's hair, okay? And, and what was his ministry noted for? It wasn't healing. It wasn't miracles. It wasn't prophecies. It was water baptism. He baptized with water. He baptized with water, but he also knew that there was one coming. This coming after him, what does it mean? Uh, who said processional? Oh, if I had a candy cane, I'd just set it right up there. Bless your heart. Bless your heart. It was a processional. And, and, and the most important guy comes in last. <laughs> huh? Oh, the musicians got it right. God bless you. Isn't it nice to have some musicians that can do something other than play? 
I've been in churches that when the musicians stopped playing, they all tipped out, act like they had to go to the bathroom or something. Aren't you proud of our musicians? Yeah. Amen. The big guy always goes last. And we took you all through the scriptures and showed you that the more, uh, the, the more prestigious and higher the office, the further they are in the processional until finally that, that the processional has prepared you for has come to a revelation and finally they come down the aisle. And we compared it to the bride comes in last. You never see a wedding processional where the bride comes in first and the bridesmaid come in behind her unless the bridal coordinator is terribly confused or been drinking. <laughs> Generally, the big guy comes in last. So it was important that John the Baptist was born first, preached first, ministered first, died first. For he has said, he that cometh after me is preferred before me. So the last shall be, and the first shall be, oh, you're good. I just love our Bible class. Don't you just love it? I don't care how tired I am. I'm ready to drag in here one eye open, drink me about four cups of coffee, and let her rip. <laughs> We're going to have a good time tonight. We're going to have a good time. Now, now as, as we begin to talk a little bit more about John, I have to set up what I'm going to say. First of all, John baptized with water unto repentance, saying, there's one coming after me who's mightier than I. And he goes on to say that I have indeed baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire, okay? He talks about that John's baptism was a water baptism. Not to be confused, now let's tip, let's put on tiptoes, and not to be confused with water baptism today. Not to be confused, because we are not baptizing you unto repentance, waiting on the Christ to come. For the Christ has already come, and inasmuch as he has come, when we baptize you, we baptize you in Romans 6, knowing that we are, if we are buried with him, meaning Jesus, into his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Okay, so baptism takes on a new meaning. John baptizes us unto repentance in his era because he is prepping us like you would prepare a priest to go into the holies of holies. He's at the laver baptizing Israel, actually, more than the church. He was baptizing Israel to give Israel a chance to recognize her Messiah. Are you following what I'm saying? So don't get that confused because if you get that confused, you'll walk out of here with one of these little weird revelations that says, I don't need to be water baptized because John baptized with water. Now I have the Holy Ghost. I don't need to be baptized, which would suggest that you didn't read your Bible because if you read your Bible good in Acts 10, 44, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them that heard the word. And they of the circumcision were astonished as many as came with Peter because on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost for they heard them speak with tongues. Then Peter commanded them that they might be baptized, seeing as they have the Holy Ghost as well as we. So being filled with the Holy Ghost not, does not negate the significance of water baptism. Are you with me? 
Okay, that's important that you understand that, okay? That's not where I'm going to rest my hat tonight, but that's important that you understand that. John says, I have indeed baptized you with water, but there's one coming after me who's mightier than I. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. Now, put a pin on that. Just put a pin on that. I'm going to hook up all these dots in a minute. But, but I want to digress a minute and talk a little bit about salvation, and then I'm going to try to merge all of this together and pull it together. Salvation was God's victory. And it's amazing for us to understand that because we see salvation as our victory. Because we were in a deplorable condition, we say, oh, thank you, Lord, I got saved, and this was my benefit. And it was my benefit. It was to your benefit, but it was his victory. This is what David talks about when he says his right hand and his holy arm have gotten him the victory. We sing have gotten us the victory, but the scripture said have gotten him the victory. It was God's victory. Because when sin entered into the world, that was God's dilemma. Satan allowed sin to come in the world, not because he was interested in Adam and Eve. He wanted to get back at God who had cast him out of heaven. Are you understanding what I'm saying? And so when sin entered into the world, since it was a challenge against God, Adam couldn't fix it. So the voice of the Lord walked through the cool of the garden. I'm back in the book of Genesis because God had to solve the dilemma. And the Bible says that God killed an animal and took the coats of skin and covered Adam's nakedness. Adam didn't kill the animal because it was God's dilemma and it was God's victory. And he was able to save us through the sacrificial offering of a lamb whereby we get a, 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 a theological term called substitution. Substitution means that justice was not, uh, justice was not resolved through mercy. It was not just that God looked at us and said, I'm just going to forget about what you did. He said, I'm still going to execute the death sentence that I told you I was going to execute because I'm not a man that I should lie or the son of man that I should repent, but I'm going to execute that judgment on a substitute. This lamb being substitute for Adam introduces the role that Jesus Christ is to play in your life. It is not that God winked at your sin, but God satisfied his need for justice about your sin through the sacrificial offering of Jesus Christ who stood in for you. Imagine yourself on death row. It's 10 minutes before your execution. You're waiting to be terminated. A stranger comes down the hallway and says, open up the door, let her, let him go free. They say, oh no, there's got to be an execution. The stranger says, that's all right. I'm going to die in their stead. Now take stranger off and say Jesus, because Jesus came in when justice had accused me and the evidence had condemned me. Jesus came in and stood in for me. Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Are you with me? And this is why we praise the Lord. We praise him because had it not been for him, justice would have never turned her head. No, not even for mercy. She wouldn't have turned her head because justice had already spoken and the, and the, and, and, and the, and the judge had already decreed the verdict. And the verdict was the wages of sin or death. And God could not go back on his word because if he went back on his word, even for mercy, mercy would have made God out to be a liar. So God could not go back on his word. And Satan started laughing and said, what you going to do about this? If you forgive him, you're a liar. 
So what are you going to do? And God devised the plan of salvation. That's why Jonah later says salvation is of the Lord in the book of Jonah because God worked out the plan of salvation. His right hand, his holy arm, went out, found the animal. The animal stood in and it got him the victory. Salvation is God's victory, your benefit. What shall I render unto the Lord for all of his benefits toward me? I will take up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. Are you with me? Now, what in the world does that have to do with John? I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you in a minute. Okay? Okay? When Christ comes, the baptism that Christ is noted for, though he was water baptized, the baptism that he is noted for is the baptism of the Holy Ghost and with fire. We're going to talk about that tonight. You ready to get down? Alrighty then. Let's get down. Gospel of St. Luke, chapter number 3, verse number 15. We have fun in Bible class for all you real tight, frustrated, evil, hateful people. Go. Go where I send you. You know you know that song. Okay. John chapter 3, verse 15 through 19. When you have it, make a noise. baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latches of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and will gather the wheat into his garner, but the shaft he will burn with fire unquenchable. And many other things in his exhortation preached he unto the people. Okay, wait a minute. This, this, is, this is something. This is really something. This is really something. Okay, we got to work on this. Okay. The whole issue is the people started wondering, is he the Christ or not? And they mused in their hearts. John had the premier position. They were wondering about Jesus Christ. John dispels all myths. John is not jealous of Jesus. He's not competing with Jesus. He is here to define who Christ is to be. He is our earthly witness. That's how we got from John 1 to where we are in Luke 3. We got there because we're establishing the earthly witness. And I'm actually finishing up from last week's Bible class. This is what I didn't have time to tell you, okay? John answered, saying unto them, all, I indeed baptize with water, but one mightier than I cometh, okay? Okay, he cometh after me, should be preferred before me, right? The, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. I'm not worthy to untie his shoes. And you must understand a shoe in the Bible days, when the Bible starts talking about shoes and starts talking about feet, you're talking about the wretched part of the body. They walked, they traveled, it was vile. He said, I'm not even worthy to unlatch it his shoes, you understand? And if you go further back into the Old Testament, shoe is a sign of covenant. And I don't have time to go into that, but you get back to the book of Ruth, you'll see that. Uh, Okay, anyway, I'm not worthy of the light of his shoes. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. 
He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Okay. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Now, before we get too deep into this, let's run over to Acts 2 for a minute and see this sucking processional that I taught about last week. You remember that? Oh, y'all are good. Yeah, yeah. The, the wind, the cloven tongues, the Holy Ghost, as, as the Holy Ghost takes up its administration over this dispensation, there is an inauguration in Acts 2 verse 1 that is separate and distinctive from people being filled with the Holy Spirit today. That's why when people are baptized with the Holy Ghost, they may speak in tongues today, but you don't see no wind, and you don't, you don't hear no wind, and you don't see any cloven tongues of fire because the Holy Spirit is not coming to the individual to set up his administration over this dispensation. It only happened once in Acts 2 verse 1. It didn't happen like that in Acts 10, though they were filled with the Holy Ghost. We see no wind. We see no cloven tongues. In Acts 19, which incidentally is almost 20 years after that the Holy Ghost first fell, we still see no wind. We see no cloven tongues. We only see it in this one big inaugural service as the Son passes the baton to the Holy Spirit. He said, I have been with you, but I shall be in you. If I go not away, the Comforter cannot come. As he passes the baton to the Holy Spirit and the administration of the Holy Spirit comes in, to set up its authority and auspices over this era, there is an inauguration because we are seeing the coronation of the Holy Spirit as he sets up his residency over this era in which we live right now. You got to follow me tonight. You with me? Okay, so we talked about that. We talked about that last week. So that's old stuff. You should, you should have that down pat. You should have taught that on your lunch break. Okay, because you understand that me teaching you the Word of God doesn't make you a student. You only become a student when you learn it and can teach it to someone else. So as you are taught in Bible class, so much you go teach, because as you hear yourself talk about it, then it becomes the Word in you and not just the Word in me. I refuse to come out here Wednesday after Wednesday so that I can have four or five thousand cheerleaders. I don't need any cheerleaders. I'm training you for touchdowns. Okay? Now we're in Acts 2, verse 1. Read from me. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come. Here we come. They were all with one accord in one place. Yes. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven. Suddenly there came a sound. Where did it come from? From heaven. From heaven. I have imagination, so I just give you sound effects. They're cheap sound effects, but they work. Boom. Okay. Suddenly there came from heaven, there came a sound from heaven. It came, so this is the beginning of the inauguration. Read. As of a rushing mighty wind. The only thing they could compare it to was as a rushing mighty wind. It didn't say it was a rushing mighty wind. They said it was like wind. See, because when it comes to the things of God, we are reduced to metaphors and comparisons and similes because all you can do when it comes to teaching about God is try to find anthropomorphic comparisons. Anthropomorphic comparisons are things in the earth realm that you can use to assimilate some concept or ideology of what God is like. 
because in truth, God is not like anything you have ever experienced before. And so they're struggling trying to make you understand what happened. They said something came through that place. It was like a rushing mighty wind. Didn't say it was wind. He descended like as a dove. Didn't say he was a dove. Thank God for all the doves. I got pictures of doves. I got them up on the wall. But the Holy Spirit is not a dove. But they was trying to tell you how gracefully he fell. It was with the gentility of a dove. He was like fire shut up in my bone. They're trying to find a way to make you understand the level of heat that hit Jeremiah. And Jeremiah said, I can't hold my peace for it was like fire shut up in my bone. But he isn't saying that the Holy Ghost is fire. He's saying it's like fire. So it was like a rushing mighty wind. Are you following me? Read on. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. Mm -hmm. And there appeared unto them Here comes the second tongues. part of the processional. And there appeared unto them Cloven tongues, mm -hmm. like as a fire. Like as a fire. Wasn't fire. Closest thing I can find to compare it to was like as a fire. It wasn't fire, for had it touched them and it were fire, it would have burned them. But the closest earthly thing I can find to compare it to was fire. And so I'm not saying it was cloven tongues of fire. It was cloven tongues like fire. See, when you, you'll never fully understand what happened in that room till you get to heaven and you see what he was trying to describe with earthly artifacts. Whatever is going on in heaven is so awesome that most people who caught a glimpse of it fell out for dead. And so we are left in the earth realm to teach the kingdom through parables. Anthropomorphic terms. The, the hand of the Lord was upon Ezekiel. He's just using something human to describe something divine. Who have believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Doesn't mean that God exposed his arm, a big arm stuck out of heaven. The eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the earth looking for someone he can show himself strong to. It doesn't mean eyeballs are shooting out all over heaven. He covereth me with his feathers. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Doesn't mean that God has cast his shadow. But there are terms to make you get some idea of what something is like that is beyond human comprehension. How do you describe an infinite God when all you have is a finite mind? And all the men and all of their education and all of their intellect will spend years arguing over what God is like, when in truth none of us can explain his auspicious glory. And you only flatter your education to think that it has brought you to a point that you can understand God. Nothing they taught you can compare what he is really like. We're stumbling, seeing through a glass darkly, trying to figure out with our little childish terms something that is so mind-boggling that we can't even explain it. The heavens are... Let me quit. I'm, I won't say anything. <laughs> I'm trying to tell you he's wonderful. He, he's awesome. I'm trying to tell you he's all of that in a bag of chips. And, okay? Come on, let's go down through this. And it sat upon each of them, mm -hmm. and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Here comes the Holy Ghost, the last man in the door. 
It doesn't come before the wind. It doesn't come before the tongues. But after the wind and the tongues have prepared the way, here comes the Holy Ghost. Come on. And began to speak with other tongues mm -hmm. as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, I had to read all of that because, that's enough, thank you. I had to read all of that because I want to explain to you that the tongues sat on them, touched them, but they weren't baptized in them. Though some people try to say that this is the fire, they weren't baptized in the tongues that sat on them. Baptized, baptismo, literally means to immerse. Baptism is immersion. It is immersion. Don't argue with people about it. It actually is immersion. For the Bible says over and over, he came straightway, he came up out of the water. I, I, I just took a shower a little bit ago, but I didn't come up out of it. I just, you know. <laughs> you know, I can take a cup of water and pour it on your head, but you don't come up out of it. He came up out of the water over and over again. So it is immersion. So when we start talking about being baptized, in the Holy Ghost and with fire. Actually, the baptism of the Holy Ghost literally means to be immersed in the Spirit of God, saturated, totally covered. That's why the enemy can't access you because every part of you has been covered by the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And I'm old school enough when we baptize people, you know, sometimes you get somebody kind of wild or something and you didn't get them all the way down, we, we take you under again. When you got through shouting, we dunk you another time. We say, come back down in there. You got to come up out the water. <laughs> okay, so being baptized in the Holy Spirit is, is about being immersed in the Holy Ghost and straightway he came up out of. So we were baptized in the Holy Ghost and with fire. I'm, 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 I'm even up on this fire because I hear everybody shouting about it but I'm not sure they understand what they're shouting about. Who needs fire? <laughs> we went through, you know, Pentecostal people go through all kinds of stuff. We, you know, we went through an era, we, we all had the Holy Ghost, but they said, you got the Holy Ghost, but have you got the fire? So you had to go back to the altar and start asking for the fire. <laughs> I got the fire. And people start running, they had to fire, you know. I think God be laughing at us. <laughs> Look at them jokers down there. What do you got? I got the fire. Okay. And, and, and sometimes in the, in the absence of reasoning, fanaticism takes over. In the absence of reasoning, fanaticism takes over. And people go beyond, way beyond what God has done, trying to manufacture something in an attempt to sanctify themselves. They go from consecration into strangeness and cease to be peculiar, which is godly, and go into weird. What God does when he baptizes us with the Holy Ghost he places his nature, let me go deeper than that, his nature that is placed inside of us with salvation now engulfs us in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
It is not that when we get the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit has come to us, for we would have never come to Christ save the Spirit drew us. So the Holy Spirit has already taken up residence inside of us, but then we are inundated with the Holy Spirit that we have within. Let me give you a visual. If you're in a wood frame house and I bring in a box and I set the box on fire, the fire is in the house, but the house is not engulfed in the flames. But if you let the fire that's on the inside continue to burn, eventually it will engulf the whole house. When you accepted Christ, the Holy Spirit came into your heart. But when you open up your heart and mouth to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that spirit that was already in you has now engulfed the house. Now, it's possible to have the house on fire on the inside and people walk past it and never know it. But if the whole house is engulfed in flames, there will be an outer sign of an inner power. This, this influence, Acts 1 and 8 says, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses unto me, both in Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the earth. And when the Holy Spirit comes into you, he gives you power. He gives you power for service, effectiveness, empowerment, enablement, dunamis, dynamite, force to overcome the wicked one, to overcome your struggles and your childhood. And so it becomes an agent whereby we begin to enter into spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare has little to do with what your body does, has more to do with what the Holy Spirit does inside of you. For the sword of the Spirit, not your sword, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. So when, when you're filled with the Spirit and you get the Word of God, the Spirit will use the Word you get to help you fight the devil you fight. Are you following? Now, the, all of this has come into your life that you might enter into various levels of sanctification and consecration as God begins the dubious, elongated process of cleaning you up. And it is an elongated. <laughs> Though people try to act like they have got it all straight, it is actually an elongated process. And it's quite a process. Okay. With that in mind, let's look at Luke 3 again, because I'm still stuck on he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. He goes on to say, verse 17, 317, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor. Anybody got an NIV Bible? Who's got an NIV? What does it say instead of whose fan is in his hand? Uh, Luke 3.17. His winnowing fan. Say it again. His winnowing fork. Thank you. Yeah. His winnowing fork. The translation in the NIV says his winnowing fork. Picture a pitchfork. It's like a pitchfork. Whose pitchfork is in his hand, okay? Now, you should be baptized with the Holy Ghost and with fire, next verse, whose pitchfork or winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor. What does it mean to purge the floor? What does it mean to purge? To sweep, to clean, 
to, to straighten out his floor and will gather the wheat into his garner, but the chaff he will burn with fire unquenchable. Wait, God is talking about something. God is talking about something. What in the world is he talking about? Because now we got fire again. But the fire is burning up the tear. Let's work on this. We're, he's describing a threshing floor process where when wheat was gathered, the, the person who wanted to separate the wheat from the chaff, now don't think tear, it's different between wheat from the tear and, and wheat and the chaff, let me explain this. When you start talking about wheat and tear, the tear is a separate species that was planted separate from the wheat. When you start talking about the chaff, the chaff is a unusable part of the wheat. Okay, since you don't, we don't grow wheat around here, how many of you seen corn grow? You know most of the corn that grows you can't use. You can only eat the ear of corn. So everything else, the stalky parts have to be cast away. Even the, the green wrapping around the ear of corn has to be pulled away because it's not usable. Wouldn't it be weird for you to come in and start eating that stuff? It's not edible, it's not usable, it's not functional. So the same thing with wheat. Much of what produces the wheat, which is the fruit, it comes through the chaff. The chaff is the unusable part of the plant. So when they get ready to harvest the wheat at the end of the season, the task, same as if you were picking cotton, is to get the wheat separated from the chaff because only that portion is usable. And it's saying that Christ will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, that he has assumed the responsibility of processing you until there is nothing left but usable parts. Let's go deeper, because we, we got to get into this. Okay, wait a minute, I'm, I'm going to show this. I want you to get this picture. So the process was to take a bundle of wheat, you took the pitchfork, you stuck it into the wheat, you threw it up in the air. Okay, when you threw it up in the air, the wind would blow the chaff out of the way and the wheat would fall back to the ground. The chaff was then gathered in bundles to be burned so that the, so that the wheat could be preserved. Are you following me? What I, I'm going to go through that again because that's real important. If you lose that illustration, you're going to lose my whole class tonight. Okay, we take the pitchfork, we stick it into the whole plant, the whole plant has been pulled up by the root. We pick the whole thing up, the wind is blowing. We throw it up in the air. The wind blows away the, the, the chaff, the wheat, which is heavier, falls to the ground. And this is a process called a threshing floor, whereby they begin to process the wheat. This parallel is used to describe what Christ has come into your life to do. Let me prove this. Let me prove what I just told you with another scripture. Just leave your finger in Luke. Go to Psalms 1. In Psalms 1, David makes the same comparison, but he's also talking, he's using the same comparison, but he's comparing it to the ungodly. Psalms 1. I think it's about six. No, no, no. You're talking about uh, he should be like a tree planted by the river of the waters, bring forth fruit in his own. No? Oh, it's four is like the chaff with the wind drives away? 
What is eight? It doesn't go to eight? Stops at six. Okay, give me four. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff, which the wind driveth away. Hold it. The ungodly are not so. Let's go back to verse three so we'll see what they're not like. And he shall be like a tree mm -hmm. planted by the rivers of water mm -hmm. that bringeth forth his fruit mm -hmm. in his season. Mm -hmm. His leaf also mm -hmm. shall not wither, mm -hmm. and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He's going to have total fruition. Come on. The ungodly are not so. The ungodly are not so. But are like the chaff. But are like the what? Chaff. Are like the what? Chaff. Are like the what? Chaff. They are like the chaff, come on. Which the wind driveth away. Which the wind driveth away. So you see, I'm not crazy. David said that the wind blew the chaff away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. The ungodly shall not stand in the judgment because they won't stand up to the wind. Come on. Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Come on. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the ways of the righteous. But the way of the ungodly shall But the shall way perish. of the ungodly shall perish. Okay? Okay. Now, here is the dilemma. What David discusses in, in the Old Testament as it relates to separating the righteous from the unrighteous, in the New Testament, the problem is compound. Oh, gosh, I, I need time. This is wonderful because I don't know if we'll ever finish this. But in the New Testament, the problem is compound because in the New Testament, God has openly and unashamedly begun the process of justifying the ungodly. So the challenge is now, it's easy when the chaff represents the ungodly and the wheat represents the godly. But what do you do when the godly people have ungodly parts? <laughs> now, 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 now I, I said that statement about justifying the ungodly, and I don't want to leave it without a scripture to it. So, so just, just uh, go to the fourth chapter of the book of Romans. Okay. Because I want you to understand the complexities of, of, of what Christ has come to do in your life because all of you is not usable. <laughs> you know that. <laughs> all of you is not usable. And, and, and the problem is, oh, I'm so glad you took Romans. How many of you took Romans when I taught on Romans? Okay, good, good. How many of you don't know what in the world I'm talking about? Got to start all over again. Jesus. How do you pastor a growing church? <laughs> Go back and get the tapes <laughs> of the book of Romans. We did a lot of work <laughs> on the book of Romans. And when we did a lot of work on the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 1, we began to establish how God began to love the heathens and, and how the heathens had gone after strange flesh and the Gentiles had been inundated with idolatry. And while they knew him as God, they glorified him not as God and made unto them graven images and worshiped the creation more than, crea more than the creator in chapter 1. In chapter 2, he also began to accuse Israel and talked about their self-righteous attitude. In chapter 3, he concludes them all in unbelief. In chapter 4, he begins to justify the ungodly. Uh, you, you remember that? You don't remember it? You wasn't here back then. Get those tapes, because I mean, we spent 
about 12 weeks or so on the book of Romans. And we actually, I think we got, we got all the way through Romans 8, and then I did a 9, 10, 11. We talked about Romans 9. Well, I, I don't have time to get into that tonight, but anyway, that's another class. But anyway, okay, we're in Romans 4. Look at Romans 4 for a minute. I want to show you a couple of things. I don't know where I want you to start reading yet until I get over there with y'all because I just pulled this out of my head. Pull it out of my head. Pull it out of my head. Thank you, Jesus. Romans 4, verse 4 and 5. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of death. He says, now, if you earn your salvation by the things you do, then your salvation is a debt that God owes you and not a grace that God has bestowed upon you. If you earned it, then it is no more grace but debt. At the end of the week, we got 350-some employees in this church. At the end of the week, uh, every two weeks, they get paid. That ain't grace. <laughs> if you don't believe it, just don't come to work for two weeks and look for a check. If you didn't work and we paid you anyway, that'd be grace. But don't expect that, because God does that, okay? <laughs> we don't do that. Company policy, okay? We pay debts. By the same token, if you earn your salvation through works, it is not grace, but debt. So everybody who ever got saved through the blood of Jesus Christ can never say, that you got saved because you anything. Not because you quit smoking, not because you quit drinking, not because you quit whoremonger, not because you got water baptized, not because you anything. Because anytime you attach something that you did to earn your salvation, it ceases to be grace and begins to be debt. So we don't live right to get saved, we get saved to live right. Okay, let's go deeper. Now read verse 4 again. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of death. Keep going. But to him that worketh not, mm -hmm. but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Oh, mercy. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, that justifieth the ungodly, that justifieth the ungodly, and, and this is a very elementary definition of justification, but it does work, that makes the ungodly just as if. Justification is to put me in a state of being just as if I didn't commit the crime I did commit. It's like God is representing in a court of law a guilty man. 
and he is able to make me appear before Jesus is able, Jesus is my attorney, God is the judge. He's able to make me appear before God just as if I never did what he knows I did. Therefore, I am justified, exonerated from any condemnation, though I'm guilty. There is no question about our guilt. For all have sinned. Mm, that's good. That's good. Okay. And all of Romans 4 goes into a long dissertation about justification, which is well worth your reading at your own spare time because he illustrates it with David. If God would regard iniquity, who would stand? He illustrates it with Abraham in that Abraham received the promise before he was circumcised. So circumcision did not earn him the covenant, but he had walked into the covenant prior to being circumcised. So he received it by grace, not of works. It was the gift of God. It's important. Is anybody understanding it? So, so, so Abraham received the covenant before circumcision. Circumcision is sanctification. Sanctification, the cutting away of the flesh. And Abraham is justified before he's sanctified. So he didn't get sanctified so it would appear just as if he didn't do it. He showed up guilty. Justification exonerated him legally. Sanctification cleaned him up physically. So I'm exonerated legally and then cleaned up physically. If that were not true, we should stop making altar calls because you would just say, well, now you're going to start working out your salvation. And we don't know exactly when you will get it, but whenever you finally get yourself totally together and God gives you an A on your report card, then you are saved. No, but he immediately exonerates you from condemnation by faith in Jesus Christ and you walk into a state of righteousness that you have not earned and you spend the rest of your life owing him for the wonderful work of grace that he did in your life. Are you following me? Okay, now here's the dilemma. Most of the plant is not usable. Come back to the wheat, going to Luke. I'm not lost. I'm long, but I ain't lost. Okay. Most of the plan is not usable. He says, I'm going to do you like we would do wheat at the threshing floor. I'm going to bring you into a place that I separate from you the usable from the unusable. Remember, this is tied into the Holy Ghost and with fire. Okay. Okay. Now, let me see. But the chaff he will burn with fire unquenchable. Underline the chaff he will burn with fire unquenchable and underline the fire in Holy Ghost with fire because Jesus mentioned them back to back. I mean, John mentioned them back to back. So there, there is some correlation between burning the chaff and the fire, which he didn't say the Holy Ghost with fire, Holy Ghost and fire, and in addition to. Here comes Roger and Dodger. 
That means Dodger is in addition to Roger. <laughs> Where do you get these names from? I don't know. You're just under stress and you need a name. You make one up. Okay. <laughs> so the fire is in addition to the Holy Ghost. He said he's going to baptize us with both. You don't understand that. If I say, let me see something. I'm going to give you this 20 and that 20, and I hand you this one. You say, and? <laughs> you understand and when it came to the money. Okay, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So you got the Holy Ghost, you ought to say, Now, I don't know how to make any plainer than that. If you didn't get that, take your $20 going home. <laughs> I can't help you. Okay, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul, as an apostle in the church, begins to establish the apostolic purpose uh, in the kingdom building that he later discusses extensively in the book of Ephesians when he regards the five-fold ministry. He's talking about his role in setting up the church as an apostle. And when we go into 1 Corinthians 3, you will see him dealing with the church. He's not talking to the world. He's talking to the church. Somebody say church. church. Let's go. Uh, yeah. And I, brethren, No, not one. Wrong. Ten. Yeah, that would take too long. Ten. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. Okay, now, the foundation has been laid. It's laid when you come to the altar. But let every man be careful or take heed how he builds thereon. So we're building on a sure foundation. The foundation is solid. But we are, from the moment we get off the altar in a personal sense, building on a pure foundation. Are you following me? Okay. While we're talking about this, you might be wondering to yourself, what have you built? Because you built something. Read on. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So you know the foundation's cool. If the foundation is Jesus Christ, that much we know is holy. That much we know is fireproof. That much we know is pure. That much we know is absolutely wheat. The foundation, we got the foundation right. How many people know you got the foundation right? Now, if you don't know you got the foundation right, let me move all this stuff and make an altar call so we can get this foundation right. My mother used to deal in real estate all the time. She'd buy old houses and, and refurbish them and rent them out. And when we would, would go out to bid on an old house, she would walk all the way around the house. They'd be talking about the siding and the drapes and all that. My mother walked all the way around the house looking at the foundation. Because if the foundation was cracked, 
it don't make any difference what kind of siding you got. So the foundation is critical. You know you got good foundation. Tell your neighbor, I know I got good foundation. Because the book said the foundation is Jesus Christ. So if nothing else right, I know the foundation. Now the siding might be hanging off, the roof might be leaking, the plumbing may be bad, the electricity might be hot, the whole house might be smoking, but I know I got a good foundation. Somebody ought to thank God for a good foundation. I'm off to a good start. Now let's see where we go from there. Come on up. Now, if any man build upon this foundation... If so any man build... See, man builds on the foundation. That's why I'm asking you, what have you built? Because we got off to a good start. Got up off the altar, felt brand new. Looked at my hands and my hands. I don't know about all that, but, you know, you felt good. And you started out good, but after that, you built some stuff. Okay. Man builds on the foundation. Come on. Gold, uh -huh. silver, precious stones, mm -hmm. wood, hay, stubble. Hold it. Boy, what did you notice about this sentence? It started out real good, didn't it? And then it got down to that old cheap stuff. Wood, hay, and stubble. Stubble is like straw. You remember the story about the three little piggies. <laughs> and the joker who lived in the straw house. And they got the huffing and puffing and stuff. We need to preach that somewhere. The three little pigs. Now, if you can preach real good, you can get by with that. But you got to be able to flat preach to do that. Uh, and the devil tried to huff. And he tried to puff. And he tried to blow. my house down but I heard Jesus saying upon this rock I'll build my church the gates of hell it can be did <laughs> a thousand may fall at your right side <laughs> And 10,000, anyway. I don't care how you huff. Anyway, just a little humor. <laughs> but we went from gold, silver, and precious stones to wood, hay, and stubble. Now, what did you notice? You noticed that one was expensive and one wasn't, right? What else do you notice? So what did you say? One's flammable and one isn't. Smart lady. Good point. Critical point. You fell right into what I wanted you to see. Some of what you built on your foundation is flammable. And some isn't. Your gold, your silver, your precious stones will go through the fire, and the fire will not change its components. 
but the wood, the hay, and the stubble is combustible, flammable, and can be destroyed. Ah, this is good. Read me some more. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. <gasps> the fire is going to tell what you built. Every man's work shall be revealed, and it's going to be revealed by fire. God says, okay, you say you're a Christian. I'm going to take you through the fire. Everything that comes through the fire was of me, and everything that burned up in the fire Now, let me, let me tell you what you see. Let me tell you what I think you see. I think what you readily see is the fiery trials in your life. And you're seeing going through fiery trials, and that is an application of the text. When you go through fiery trials, it can only burn up those things that were combustible. And, and that is an element of what I want you to see. But, but I want you to understand that there is a deeper implication here than fiery trials. And I want you to see this. If I show you this, I think this is going to help you. I think this is going to help you. And I'm, I know I'm taking a long time to set it up. <laughs> I really do think this is going to help you for the next 20, 30 years. I really do think it's that important. I think it's going to help you in your walk with God for years to come as you face uncertainty and as, as, as you, the, the, the materials built in your life face trials and tests and, and, and you face disappointments and, and you come down to the end of your life as a Christian and you have some level of uncertainty because the accuser of the brethren will always remind you of the wood, the stubble, and the hay and never mentions the gold, the silver, or the precious stones. What, what do you do when you've got stubble and hay and wood but you know your foundation was good? I think this is important. I really do. I really do think. I really do think that there's probably somebody in this place who knows your foundation is good, but you also know there's some woody things and some hay and some stubble in your life, and there's a degree of shame and there's a degree of struggle, and you're wrestling with that. And many things you you turn wood to gold. You, you, you turn hay into silver, but there's many areas that have not been changed. And what do you do if you get to the end and there's still some stubble left? That's where I'm going tonight, and that's why I got to lay a good foundation because this is a critical issue that we live with all the time and talk to people about none of the time. We don't talk to people about saints with sinners' problems. And when I talk about sinners, please don't get this, this Western definition of sinners and conclude it with sex. Because that is such a narrow definition of sin that you will, you, you, if you don't have a sexual problem, you'll be arrogant. And you think, well, I didn't need that. 
And that very statement may be worse than any fornication you'd ever make because a proud look the Lord despises. So please understand that wood, stubble, and hay goes far beyond fornication, cigarettes, and alcohol. It doesn't exclude them, include them too, but it goes far deeper than that. Okay. Read on, sis. We're getting to some good stuff. I want you to learn these scriptures. Come on. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abides... Wait, 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 wait. The tr fire shall try every man's work of what sort it, who said it, you good, Who's, of what sort it is. It didn't say that the fire would try the man. It would try the work. Of course, we're talking to the church. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. So we're not talking about trying the man. We're talking about trying the work. Illustration, I'm taking you, I'm on my way to the judgment seat of Christ, okay? To those of you who, who can get ahead of me, that's where I'm going. It, it, it's like a horse race. And all the horses are running around the track. And the, uh, uh, Jim and I, Jim and I, going to 15, he's going to the, you know. And he's coming in the back gate, he's coming in the back gate, Fred, he's doing about 20, you know. And they're all sitting up here, you know. And they're judging the horse race. But they're not judging the horse race to see if the horse is a horse. They're not judging the horse race to see if the horse ran the race. They're judging how well the horse ran the race. Here you have the judgment seat of Christ. This is not merely to judge to see if you got in heaven. This is to judge how well you ran. Read on. You're going to see it in a minute. Read on. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Wait, I want him to think about this. If any man's work abide, stands, goes through the fire, which he had built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. God's going to pay you for everything don't burn. Now, understand that the, the fire is an unquenchable fire. It's a strong fire. It's not just going to try the work. It's going to see what sort it is. So he's not just trying to see did you do it, but he's going to burn right down into motives. Because if you did right things for wrong reasons, see, this is a hot fire. Somebody say hot fire. So you ain't going to be dancing talking about fire in my hand. No, no, no. This is a little hotter than that. It's going to burn right down into the intents of your hearts. See, the word of God is quick and sharp and powerful than any two-edged sword. Casting asunder, bone from all, soul from spirit, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. This is going all the way down into not what you did, but why you did it. A lot of things, a lot of people that you're impressed with right now are not going to stand up to that kind of scrutiny because they did holy things, 
but they did them for ungodly reasons. Oh, it's getting tight in here now. If any man's work abide, which he have built thereupon, he shall receive reward. Reward. Read on this next verse. If any man's work shall be burned. If any man's work shall be burned. Come on. He, sh he shall suffer loss. He shall suffer loss. He didn't get a reward. He shall suffer loss. But. He himself shall be saved. I'm still on the butt, baby. Let's stay right on that butt because if you don't understand that butt, you're going to misunderstand salvation. See, you are not going to heaven to get eternal life. You have eternal life right now. So this is not a judgment for the believer. I'm talking to the church tonight. This is not a judgment to see if you got in. This is a judgment to see how you ran. And if the works shall be burned, you read, you can read, it said he shall suffer loss, but. Look at somebody and say, don't take the butt out of it. Mm -mm, you don't need that butt in there. But he himself shall be what? Saved. Yet so as by <laughs> is this interesting to anybody okay let's go a little deeper because we, we we really got to prove all things okay let's go uh let's see Romans 14, 8 through, I get tired. <laughs> Romans chapter 14, verse 8. For whether we live. Wait, wait, wait. I want them to find it in their Bible. Because you got to mark this down. You got to go home and study it. You got to pray about it. You got to understand it. You got to ingest it and appropriate it. Because if you get this down in and you get it right, when the enemy comes against you to condemn you and belittle you and make you feel bad, you're going to whip his head with the word of God. You're going to whip his head with the word of God. He's going to say, you know, you changed, but it's still some stuff you're working on. You're going to say, yeah, but, it, but. You're going to need that but. You're going to need that but. You might not need it tonight, but, but you're going to need that but. <laughs> That make a nice tape series. You're going to need that butt. <laughs> What's your pastor preach? He said, well, anyway, anyway, uh, 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 y'all love me. <laughs> I'm laughing, but I tell you the goddamn truth, you're going to need it, sure enough. It might sound funny, but you're going to need it. You're going to need it. I guarantee you're going to need it. Might not need it this month. See, when somebody teaches something like this, it catches everybody at different places in their life. And if it catches you on the low road, you immediately suck it up because you need it tonight. And you say, whoo, thank you, Jesus. And you go home crying and thought about, but, oh, devil, I've been going through something, but, and I've been trying to devour, but, and I might have failed God, but. But see, there's that other group, they're on the mountain right now. Oh, it looks a little liberal to me. 
He's just a little liberal. You know, Brother Jackson's all right, but he's just a little liberal. And they feel like that because they're on that mountain. But just put that little butt in the refrigerator. Can it. Can it. Put it on ice. Put it in a sandwich bag. Because if you keep on living, I'm guaranteeing, I'm telling you, you go anybody's church you want to. You might not need it right now, and you might not think they need that butt. But if you go there long enough, you're going to need that butt. Anyway, uh, Romans 14, <laughs> verse 8. <laughs> For whether we live, we uh -huh. live unto the Lord. Uh -huh. And whether we die, mm -hmm. we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. Whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. No question about it. Whether we live or die, God of mercy. Y'all don't even know when to shout. I ain't never seen nothing like it. Y'all be shouting all about you're going to get a new car and you're going to get a new watch and you're going to get a teddy bear for Christmas. All that dumb stuff is going to fade away. I just told you whether you live or die. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> That's what you're supposed to do off of that. You just hit the jackpots for Christmas. Okay, C come on, sis, break it on down. For to this end, Christ both died and rose. For to this end, nothing, nothing you did, but to this end, Christ both died and rose. Come and on. And revived. And revived. That he might be both Lord of the dead and living. That he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. Oh, good God. Uh, I ain't going to get in that. Let me get past that. Come on. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Why are you judging your brother? Keep your mouth off of your brother. Shut your mouth about your brother. You have no business in your brother's business, his life, his struggles, his weaknesses, his temptations. Shut up. You're on the mountain this month. Shut up. It wasn't that long ago you was in the valley. If you live long enough, you're going to go back to, so, so don't say anything. Don't let your arrogance write a check that your lifetime can't pay or something like that. Anyway, something like that. Anyway, I can't remember exactly how it goes. Uh, come on, read, read. Or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Read that again, because we was laughing and we lost that. Okay. But why dost thou judge thy brother? But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? Well, why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I really got to stop now. I, I do. I'm out of time. <laughs> now it's 9 o'clock now, y'all.
Okay. Let me see if I can give you a few more minutes. Okay. <laughs> we must all we must all believers stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now let's separate this. We we need to separate this. This is not the great white throne judgment. This is, this is not the great white throne judgment. That's where the, the sea gives up the dead, the quick and the dead must all be before the great white throne. And you remember how we used to sing them songs, you know, I want to be at the knee. I want to be at the knee. I want to be at the knee. When all the saints get home. After separate. The right from the wrong. I want to be at the knee around the throne. I don't. I want to miss that meeting. If you show up at the meeting at the great white throne, it's bad news. If I die and I wake up and I see a white throne, I'm dying again. I said, no. I don't want to be there. <laughs> I'm not back yet. <laughs> I want to be at the judgment seat of Christ because it is the judgment seat of Christ. And Christ is my Savior, my Lamb. I gotta give you, if, if, since you wanna go over time, I was gonna break it up, but since you wanna go over time, I'm just gonna go over a little bit, so don't give up on me, I won't be long. But, but, but this is kinda important, don't you think? Okay, okay, we was at the 10th verse, Judgment Seat of Christ, verse 11, for it is written. For it is risen, written, mm -hmm. as I live, said mm -hmm. the Lord, mm -hmm. every knee shall bow to me, mm -hmm. and every tongue shall confess to God. Mm -hmm. So then, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Mm -hmm. Let us not, therefore, judge one another anymore. Ain't that the truth. But judge this, rather, mm -hmm. that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. That should have condemned somebody right there because you, you, you just put a stumbling block in somebody else's way or you, you plotting for somebody to fall. You want them to mess up. You... You're planning to seduce them. You, 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 you're working on them. You're breaking them down right now. But it, it, that was your scripture tonight. Verse 14. I know mm -hmm. and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus mm -hmm. that there is nothing unclean of itself, mm -hmm. but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, mm -hmm. to him it is unclean. Mm -hmm. But if thy brother be mm -hmm. grieved with thy meat, mm -hmm. Now walkest thou not charitably. Mm -hmm. Destroy not him with thy meat, for whom Christ died. The, he, now he's talking about, look, before you run off and say, ain't nothing unclean. That's what I learned in Bible class now, because people learn what they want to learn, you know. They pull that one little part out. Baby, this ain't unclean. <laughs> you know, people are crazy. He, 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 but, but he's talking about... <laughs> He's talking about whether you should eat meat or respect days or this or that and other. He said, it really don't make any difference. But if somebody's stumbling over your freedom, don't do it. 
See, 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 see your liberty is somebody else's religiosity. And he said, if, if they're going to stumble or lose respect for you over your freedom, you have to curb your freedom so that you'll still be usable to minister to those people. All things are lawful, but all things are not expedient. It's not whether I can do it or not. It's whether doing it affects my ability to be usable or not. That's a wonderful thing. <laughs> okay. I'm going to take you through two more scriptures and I'm going to get out of here. 2 Corinthians 5, 8 through 12. Because y'all don't ever want to finish the word. Y'all just get in the word and y'all are junkies. We got y'all off crack, and I'd be doggone if you ain't got hooked on this word of God. You just all the way strung out, completely ate up with it. Bless God, it's after 9 o'clock. When I first started passing this church at 9 o'clock, you'd have thought somebody dropped a bomb in here. People would start running. They'd go out windows and doors and everything. Woo, it's 9 o'clock. Get the kids, Fred. I thought, I don't know whether I'm going to make it here or not. <laughs> These jokers got a nine o'clock demon. Demons would come out at nine o'clock. I gave up. After a while, I said, it's nine o'clock. I quit. <laughs> and then you fell in love with the word. <laughs> Woo! Okay, but I won't be long. It won't be 10. Okay, go to 2 Corinthians 5, 8 through 12. I'm going to show you that, and I'm going to show you Ephesians 5, 25 through 28, and I'm going to get out of here. We okay. are confident. We are confident. I say. I say. And willing mm -hmm. rather to be absent from the body mm -hmm. and to be present with the Lord. Mm -hmm. Wherefore, we labor. He said, I don't have no problem with dying. He said, I'm confident. Not only do I say I'm confident, he said, I'm willing to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. He said, I don't have no problem with dying. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. He said, we labor so that regardless, it don't make any difference. He's the God of the living, God of the dead. It don't make any difference. I'd be all right. Verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That everyone may receive the things done in his body. Now, I'm talking to the church now, to the believer. I'm not talking to the world because they're the great white throne. We don't want to be there. Uh -huh. I'm not talking about the judgment of the sheep and the goats. That's the judgment of nations. We don't want to be there. We want to be at the judgment seat of Christ. If you wake up from your death sleep and you see something that don't say judgment seat of Christ, go back out. <laughs> okay? <laughs> okay? Because the judgment seat of Christ is going to be better for you, okay? It's going to be better. It's going to help you out. For it says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he have done, whether it be good or, or bad. Read on. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, mm -hmm. we persuade men, mm -hmm. but we are made manifest unto God. Mm -hmm. And I trust also are made manifest in your conscience. Mm -hmm. I don't want to minimize the judgment seat of Christ in my attempt to be humorous. I don't want to minimize it as if it is child's play because it will not be child's play. I certainly don't want to minimize it, but I certainly don't want to confuse it to make believers feel like that you have some pending legal spiritual litigation that will cause you to be retried and lose what God has invested in your life. I want you to understand that accepting Christ as your savior means accepting his life as the payment for the penalty of your sins. 
I want you to know that when Christ died on the cross and I accepted him as my savior, he delivered me, he delivered me from the penalty of sin. Are you understanding what I'm saying? When he filled me with the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, he is delivering me from the practice of sin. Okay. When he raptures me to the judgment seat of Christ, he's going to deliver me from the presence of sin. Is that sinking into your computer? Get that in your hard drive. And I want you to get that in your hard drive and understand that when the Bible says his fan is in his hand or his winnowing fork is in his hand, it's that God has assumed the responsibility of, of, of separating you, preparing you, maturing you, and ultimately cleaning you up well enough for you to be worthy to be his. That, that the battle is not yours and that it belongs to the Lord. And the only thing that the Lord asks you to do is to submit yourself unto him, resist the enemy, and he will flee from you. And the more submitted you are to the Holy Spirit, the more he begins to perfect and mature you now. And ultimately, at the judgment seat of Christ, all of that little stubble that is left passes through the judgment seat of Christ. It may be burned, but he himself shall be saved, though he suffer loss. That's what the book said. That's not what the bishop said. That's what the book said. And you read it in your book. And it's in your book, and that's why I want her to wait so you could read it in your book, so you would know your book for your private prayer time. Not so that you can find a clause to escape and mock God, but so that you might have a comfort for an anguished soul who's always perplexed because you never come quite up to what you really want to be in Christ. And this is something, please believe me. My, my father in the gospel says something. I, I love this illustration. I'm going to give him credit for it this time. After this, I'll just use it. But, but when we were talking about uh, righteousness, he said, it's, it's like you're sailing on a ship and the shore is like 10 miles away. And one guy, there's two guys on the ship and both of them jump off and, and they say, I'm going to swim back. Well, the one guy starts swimming. He can swim eight miles. The other guy can only swim two miles. Well, the one who's, who swims two miles, he starts drowning. The other one looks back and says, oh, I can swim way further than you. Look at how much stronger I am than you. Look at how much better I am than you. Look at how much you should have practiced. You should have read your Bible more. You should have prayed. You should have done this more. He's just swimming. After eight miles, he goes down. Now, whether you went down at two miles or eight miles, both of you fell short of the shore. Now, you're sitting in a room with believers. Some of them can only swim a half a mile. Some of them can sw swim nine and a half, but holiness is still 10 miles. And rather than to belittle the brother who can't swim as far as you are, you need to tell him about the grace of God, which makes up the difference for human limitation. Not, not so that he'll stop swimming. You don't want him to stop swimming, but you want him to know that if you run out before you get there, grace. Now, I'm going to show you one more scripture. I'm going to get out of this. And I, I, I like to, I like to, as you go to Ephesians 5, uh, I, I, like to, I like to place the judgment seat of Christ so you understand when it happens, okay? My sins were judged on Calvary's cross. That's why Calvary was so horrendous. It was what I did that he paid for. He paid for joints he never smoked, liquor he never drank, 
Women he never slept with. Men he never ran around. He paid with st for stuff that he never ever did. He was innocent, but he took my guilt, died in my place, died in my stead, that the penalty would be paid so that the enemy couldn't charge us twice for the same crime. Now the judge is sitting here, she'll tell you right now, you can't charge a person twice for the same crime. Once it has been paid, the debt has been paid to the society, I don't care what new evidence comes up, she cannot retry your case. Come on, somebody, I know, I know that much about the law. <laughs> oh, Michael got that part coming. <laughs> Michael ain't shouted all night when he got to that part. <laughs> Okay, now, understand, understand, you have to know the whole story to know why that's funny, but trust me, that's funny. Understand, Calvary paid the price for sin. And when I accepted Calvary as my payment, my sins are nailed to the cross. Are oh, you understand? My sins are nailed to the cross. As I walk with God, the Holy Spirit continues to convert different areas in my life until he breaks the practice of sin in my life. You understand? Yet, even in the midst of all that the Holy Spirit is doing in my life, there are still wood, stubble, and hay that shows up on my good foundation. And if I were to die tonight, it, it wouldn't be where I died and everything I would, that I had done would be lost over a little stubble left over in the corner. God says we must all appear. None of us live so good that we can bypass the judgment seat of Christ. Every last one of I know you outswam me. I know you outswam me. You went nine and a half, and I only went two and a half. And I know you've been talking about me like a dog. But what you didn't understand is that the shore was 10 miles. And you're still going to need some help to get there to where God means when God says, holy. When God said, be ye holy, even as I, the Lord, am also holy. He's talking about the kind of holiness that God had. There ain't a joke in this room. Got the kind, I don't care. I don't believe it. I don't care what you say. I don't, and if you say too much, I'll call your kids. I'll call your wife up. I'll call your old girlfriend. I'll call your co-workers with your hateful self. Don't you try to act like you're not going to need some help. You don't need some help. And I got good news for you. It's some help in this book for you. Now, let me, let me place this. I got to date this. I got to date this quickly. And I go. So when we appear before the judgment seat of Christ, we cannot, this is important for you to get some timeline, we cannot go into the marriage supper of the Lamb before we go to the judgment seat of Christ. We cannot go to the marriage supper of the Lamb before we go to the judgment seat of Christ. So if, if, if the rapture were to occur right now and I were to be taken out of this world, I couldn't go right into the marriage supper because of the stubble and the hay and the wood. Now I don't care how good y'all preach these funerals of these dead folks. They better stop by there. Because when people die, y'all get amnesia. You can't remember nothing bad they ever did, but... Oh, mama. Mama was wonderful. Yeah, she was, but you know, mama. You know, mama. 
No, I like you on no mama. She's gonna need a little something, something on the way going in, too. I remember all them old church mothers. They real holy water, white dress, and the prayer cup and everything. But they need a little something, something. You catch one of them church mothers wrong, they let you have it, baby. I remember one of them was real holy, but she dipped snuff. We never did find it out till one day. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> I gotta quit. See when we go after nine o'clock, see how bad we get, we need to go home. Okay. <laughs> We caught mother, mother had she said, oh, sorry about you. Mm -hmm. I thought mother was speaking in tongues, child. We just, mother, mother. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mother Jaws was all tight. Uh, go to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to give you this scripture and I'm out. <laughs> Everybody going to need a little blood going in, you know? Gonna have to go through the fire. Burn that snuff up if nothing else. Go to Ephesians 5, 25. Okay. And then after this, I'm quick for now. You got it? <laughs> if it? Didn't that give you a visual? Praise the Lord, baby. I didn't know y'all were coming over. I said, I can tell, mother. I'm waiting for you outside while you get that snuff out your mouth for you. They was fussing at me because I had a beard. I couldn't wear a beard, short sleeves, or nothing. Uh, Ephesians 5, 25. Uh -huh. Husbands. Now, he's talking about marriage. Husbands. Love your wives. Love your wives. Even as Christ also loved the church. Even as Christ also loved the church. And gave himself for it. And gave himself for it. That's a good shout right there. Gave himself. I told you the last man Adam died for his pride, and the first one died with her. He gave himself for his church that he, he might, might sanctify mm -hmm. and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Read on, there's another that. That he might present it to himself a glorious church. Now, this scripture blows my mind because we always quoted it the other way. He's coming out to a church without spot, wrinkle, blemish, or something. Be ready when he comes again. Be ready when he comes. Be ready when he comes again. He's coming again so soon. Don't, 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 don't let him catch you with your work undone. And as one run. I mean, they didn't make you glad to see the Lord coming. You're the first. You're scared he's going to come. Oh, don't come right now. But listen at how, listen, ooh, listen, sweethearts, listen at the love of husbands. Love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might, that he might present it to himself. Did you hear that? That he might present it to himself. That's talking about what he's going to do for you. He said, I'm going to fix you up and present you to me. 
So you just can't go into the marriage supper of the Lamb like you are right now. He said, because I got to take you through some pressure till I get the wrinkles out. And then there's a little spot in your dress. It's a white dress, but it got a whole spot in it. And he says, when I get through fixing you, I'm, I, I love you so much that I'm going to fix you and then present you to myself. I'm going to walk you down the aisle to give you away and then run up in front and receive. Oh, y'all don't hear what I'm saying. <laughs> okay, now let me show you this. We got to go. That he, might, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Well, how did it get holy and without blemish and without spot, wrinkle, or whatever any such thing might be? Because even if you got rid of your wrinkles and your spots, you still got some such things. He said, this is how it got there. I presented it to myself. That's why when I wake up, I want to see the judgment seat of Christ because it's the final pressing before the wedding takes place. Are you understanding that? When John talks about I'm limited, I baptize you with water. But there's one coming after me that is mightier than I. Baptism with water starts it. Baptism with the Holy Spirit takes it to the next level. But that and with fire is something you can't leave out. Because that fire tries your works to see what sort they are. Though they may be lost, he would be saved. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with Fire. I'm through with y'all. Get out of here. Stand to your feet. Let me ask you one question. Let me ask you one question as you stand. I'm not going to apologize because I only stayed because you wanted to stay. Okay, I want, I, want, I want to take a quick poll and then I'm going to let you out of here. I just want to make sure that there's not anybody in this room that hasn't got the foundation of having Jesus Christ in your life. If you don't have the foundation, you have no hope. You have no hope of heaven. You need Christ in your life. You need Christ in your life right now. Jesus died 2,000 years ago for your sins that you might be set free. And, and, and you have no security. You have no anchor. You have no hope. You have no hope without Christ. You need Christ in your life. You need Christ in your life. How do I?